every year that I am your pastor, you will get two homilies on stewardship. One related to parish stewardship each fall, and one related to the annual Catholic appeal each spring. Today is our spring stewardship homily. But before we get to that, there is a doctrinal theme in our readings that I don't want to miss. Our first reading is traditionally regarded as the institution of the diaconate, a ministry we have happily seen restored to a fuller expression following the Second Vatican Council. And in our second reading, we hear St. Peter refer to the followers of Jesus as a holy priesthood. What are these two ministries? How do they relate to each other? In first century Greek, the word deacon simply referred to someone who worked in support of a task or a need. But in the early church, this term came to refer to those in the Christian community who were ordained to deal with the day-to-day needs of the church, like the distribution of alms or taking the Eucharist to the sick. The ministry of priesthood, in contrast, predates Christianity and is present in most ancient religions, always connected to the concept of sacrifice. The priest intercedes between the gods and humanity, usually with an animal, grain, or other offering. The point I want to emphasize here is that, by our baptism, all Christians are called to be deacons and priests. That is, all Christians are called to attend to the needs of the world, and all Christians are called to offer sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ on behalf of humanity. It is in this sense that St. Peter refers to the Christian community as a holy priesthood, because every Christian offers their prayers and their actions up as a sacrifice just as a ritual priest would offer sacrifice on an altar. Building on that foundation, though, certain Christians are called upon to receive the sacrament of holy orders, and these Christians exercise their diaconate and their priesthood, not to the world, as the laity does, but specifically to the church, Deacon Larry is a deacon for the needs of the church, and I am a priest for the baptized. We serve the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can, in its turn, go out as priests and deacons to serve the entire world. Okay, now, let's talk about stewardship. In essence, my stewardship talk is going to be exactly the same every time I give it, because there is one primary message that I want to get across over the next decade, and I think it might take a decade for it to sink in. Namely, I want all of us to realize that giving away our money is good for our souls. Yes, we have a duty to support the Church. Yes, there are many organizations worthy of our generosity. 
But even if no one needed the money, and we just dumped it in a river, the deliberate act of giving away our money is good for our souls. Why? Because if we are not careful, money owns us. Money is necessary for us to live and survive, absolutely. But money is also dangerous because it is so hard to say how much money is enough money. We often have a standard in mind, a reasonable one, about what sort of house, car, enjoyment, and savings we need to live a good life. But as we get close to that standard, our thoughts begin to change, and we begin to think about a slightly better house, nicer car, longer vacation, newer device, and what have you. We struggle to find the line between need and want, and it is easy for our desire for the new and the better to become insatiable. If we are not careful, we will never, ever be satisfied. We have to find a way to break the power and temptation of money in our lives, even as we recognize its necessity. For me, the best thing I have ever done to keep my consumerism and greed in check was to make the decision to start tithing. Beginning in seminary, I decided that I would give away 10% of my income every year, and for the last two years that amount has been closer to 20%. Now, I am blessed as a priest to have my housing, food, and gas paid for by the parish, so I have more freedom to be generous than most. But what matters is not the amount. It is the decision, the decision to give away a percentage of my income, no matter what, broke the power and temptation of money in my life. It stopped me from thinking that my money was exclusively for me and taught me to start looking for opportunities to give it away. Two examples from my past year. First, last summer, an acquaintance from college, who had decided to become a Protestant missionary, was in the area and dropped by to ask me to commit to a monthly gift to support her work. For many people, having a friend ask for money can be exceedingly awkward. But I knew that I needed to hit my annual 10%, so it was an easy yes. She did not have to beg, and I did not have to dither, because I had already made the decision to give my money away. Second example. As I mentioned in a letter back in March, I am donating my income back to the parish until we resume public mass, a commitment that I am going to try to keep even though that timeline looks to have gone from one month to three months to maybe longer. Of course, I did do the math first to make sure I would survive. But I never had any emotional difficulty with this decision, 
Because after so many years of tithing, it has become a deeply ingrained habit in my life. That said, if this crisis has taught me anything, it is that I am still nowhere near as generous as many of our parishioners who struggle with rent or live on a fixed income. To the great surprise of everyone, our parish has maintained a level of giving that is rather exceptional in the diocese and the country. In two months without public mass, we have only fallen $5,000 behind our giving levels from last year, even as the stock market has fallen and employment becomes uncertain. Clearly, we have so, so many parishioners that have made tithing a deeply ingrained habit that even in an era-defining crisis, they are not deterred from their tithing obligations. I am humbled and in awe. The point of all this, of course, is not to toot my or anyone else's horn. The point is to say, once again, that tithing is good for our souls. It teaches us to be generous and to look for opportunities to give. It removes our emotional attachment to our money and allows us to endure an economic crisis with a peace we did not think was possible. If you have not yet committed to tithing, that is, if you have not yet decided on a percentage of your income to give away each year, I encourage you to try to make that decision today, even if it is only one or two percent. You will not regret it, and it will set you free. Now, this homily was supposed to be about the annual Catholic appeal. Every year, the diocese wants me to make a big deal about this annual obligation to advertise it everywhere, to make it exciting, to bring in witness speakers, to push a rebate project, all that stuff. Personally, I hate that approach. I don't want to put on a dog and pony show to make you feel good and excited about supporting our archdiocese. We are Catholics, and just as we have an obligation to support our local parish, we also have an obligation to support our archbishop, his administration, and his ministries. I think about Jesus in today's gospel, speaking about how he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. It is the same with our archbishop and our archdiocese. We are in him, and he is in us. There is no division. We are not in competition. Jesus can never be separated from or placed in opposition to his Father. And we, as a Catholic parish, can never be separated from or placed in opposition to our Archbishop. Because I tithe, I have already set money aside for the Archdiocese. I was always going to give money to this appeal, and that amount was always, according to my practice, going to be one-third of the tithe money I had set aside for the year. I imagine that many of you are the same way. So this year, I am gambling on the idea that if I just remind you over the next few weeks, 
We don't have to make a big deal out of this thing. I hope I'm right. However, if you do need some motivation, here are two reasons to give to the Archdiocese. The first is that, for more than a millennium, dioceses have funded themselves by taxing their parishes, and we still use that system in the Church. Technically, the annual Catholic appeal is part of our diocesan tax. Our annual Catholic appeal goal of $92,000 is not optional. If we do not hit that goal, the remainder comes out of our parish budget. Some people like to think that they can register their displeasure with the archdiocese by not giving to the annual Catholic appeal. But honestly, that pain always falls back on the parish. Second, though, on a more positive note, I have been incredibly impressed with our archdiocesan response to the coronavirus crisis. No one in the world had a playbook for this thing, but at every moment of it, I have felt supported by our central archdiocesan administration. As the leader of a local parish, I can say that our bishops have, honestly, been all-stars in providing exactly the right amount of direction and flexibility to allow the local priests and parishes to serve their people in creative but regionally consistent ways. We are normally supposed to promote the annual Catholic Appeal by talking about fun ministries, like summer camps and seminarians. But this year, I think it is actually the administrative capacity of the Archdiocese that shines most brightly. My brothers and sisters in Christ, there are many people in the world who think it is crass to preach about money, even only twice a year. But the Lord wants to speak into every aspect of our lives. Jesus leaves nothing untouched, including and especially something as important as our finances. I and so many of our parishioners have felt the freedom that comes from tithing, from that commitment to give our money away. I hope you will make that commitment, too, so that you can experience the freedom and the peace that the Lord wishes to give us when money does not control us, but we control it.